It's lovely to be here. organize everything it's great to see you again it's lovely to be here it really is very nice it's good to see some familiar faces and it's also good to see some unfamiliar faces because that means Jesus is doing things and doing good exciting things in people's lives um, there's a couple of things I need to say straight away then we'll come to this honest the gentleman here the little mustache in the pinky pinky shirt I just Every now and then when I'm talking, just feel like God gives me something that I need to share with somebody. I submit it to you. It's entirely up to you uh, whether you receive it or not. But I believe I should say to you, um, you can do it. I don't know what the it is, but you can do it. And if there's something prompting right, there's maybe something you're facing, some sort of decision, some sort of challenge. But I really feel I just need to say to you, you can do it. You can do it. There's a bravery in you that you don't realize is there. And there's a bravery that God's given. Bravery is not to do with not being scared. It's just to do with absolutely scared, but doing it anyway. So I just want to encourage you. Um, you can do it. With God's strength, you can do it. So we can, we can talk after if you, if you want. And also there's a lady over here. lady with the black and white stripy top hiding behind the scarf that doesn't like people. Yes, that lady. The one hiding behind the scarf. I'm sorry. Um, I, I just really feel I need to say to you, well, there's something else, but before that, you're on God's radar. Every now and then you wonder if you're on God's radar, if I'm right. And, and you just need to know, up in heaven, God's got a big radar screen, and you're just going, beep, beep, beep. You're on his radar. You're on his radar. Um, that I didn't intend to say. The bit I intended to say is um, God's giving you a jigsaw. He's giving you pieces of a jigsaw. And every now and then when something comes to you, you don't really see the connection Sometimes it might be a relationship he begins. Sometimes it's a course you do or a qualification you get or a skill you have or an insight you have. But, but God is giving you pieces of what will become a beautiful jigsaw. But at the moment you think, what the dickens is that? And then this happens. What's that going on? And then you're able to learn to do this. What's that? And then a relationship. But actually the pieces of a jigsaw. So Jesus is giving you a jigsaw because you're on his radar. Yeah, I have the privilege of uh, serving at Regents Theological College in Malvern, and um, I don't want to spend long on this because I want to get into the word, but um, I've got some propaganda here <laughs> that's available after. Regents Theological College is part of the Elim movement, if you've heard of the Elim movement at all, and um, I've served at the college now for eight years, I can't believe it's that long, um, but we have a, a little leaflet like this that explains to you a brand new way we're starting to be able to offer our courses. Our core, if you like, is a three-year BA degree course in applied theology. And all our courses are validated by the University of Chester. And Chester Uni are brilliant at supporting us and helping us. And they've given us permission uh, from the beginning of this September to offer our courses in a new way. So we're offering campus-based, which is what's the traditional Bible college, three years living in Malvern. Whoa, beautiful it is. Um, but not everybody can do that. And so we're now able to offer three years context-based. And that means you can carry on living where you're living. You can be in Newcastle or Devon or Margate or wherever. And you do a three-year degree course 
which means all being, being well, you'd be um, uh, able to get a student loan. But the context-based means you only actually come to Malvern for four days, five times a year. And that is a brilliant way of doing the course. You need to carry on doing ministry stuff out there and accessing webinars and doing work and whatever. But it does mean that people can actually do a full-time theological course um, without having to come and live in Mulvern for three years. So that's context-based. And we can do that full-time or part-time. Uh, if you do it part-time, it's over six years. So you can be brave. That's a great course to do. And we're also doing modular courses. We've never done this before, really, which means that, hey, you can just dive in, have four days in Malvern, and do a module. You can do, like, the whole of a New Testament overview, or you could do the life of Paul, or you could do Christian doctrine, or something on church history, or drill into the book of Romans, or something like that. And that's a four-day course. And if you access the website, you'll be able to find we're doing loads and loads of stuff on that basis. And if, if the person next to you is really, really smart, we also do master's courses. The person next to you looks smart enough for a master's? What do you reckon? Um, yeah, maybe the person next to you, Joe. <laughs> um, and uh, so that leaflet tells you all about that. We also have taster days. So there's a little leaflet like that. If you want to come on a Saturday from about 10 in the morning till about 3 in the afternoon, that's a taster day. just gives you a taste of what it looks like. And there's also... Big leaflets with more details if you want to know more. We've got four main courses. There's church leadership and applied theology. That's the one I focus on, so that's church leadership and theology. We've also got youth ministry and theology. And we've got a brilliant one that's performing arts and theology and led by a brilliant guy, Rich Hasnip, who was an actor and director with Saltmine Theatre Company, if you know that. And Rich leads that and performing arts and theology is brilliant. And then plain theology. Well, plain, not plain theology, but you know what I mean. Just focus on theology. So if you want to know more, all the propaganda's out there. It's free, okay? No matter what anybody tells you. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, for the propaganda not to come to college. Uh, <laughs> just, just in case there was, there was any doubt there. You never know, dear. Um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the scripture first, but there's two stories I want to share. Two stories. One of them I was prompted to say because of something said earlier this morning. Um, but let me tell you my title first. God wants to work supernaturally through you. But sacrifice is always first. God wants to work supernaturally through you, but sacrifice comes first. And um, I remember many years ago in the mid-80s, Jill and myself together with Dave and Rosemary, we planted a church in Stockport. I had the privilege later of pastoring that church for about 15 or 16 years. And during that time, so it must be well over 25 years ago, um, a young fella, um, a really skinny looking young fella, I mean I was probably in my early 30s and he looked much, much younger and skinnier. Um, but he lived in a place called New Moston on the east side of Manchester. And he contacted me and said, hey, I understand that your church from time to time goes and does schools ministry. And I said, well, we do. We sometimes have people come from America. We've got a few people in, this, in the church. And we, we go and take school assemblies and do bits of schools ministry. And this young fella said, well, I just got a niggly feeling God wants to do stuff to do with schools ministry through me. So would it be all right if I come across and just see what you do? And I said, well, you can if you want, skinny young fella, but you'll have to make sure you're at our church building for eight o'clock. Because when we do this ministry, we take it serious. We meet at eight o'clock, we pray. Then we get on and we get to the school with plenty of time. So you must, well, bless his heart, he did that. And because of where he lived, he had to get up at like ridiculous o'clock, half past five or something, get on the bus at six, go into the centre of Manchester, change places in Manchester, get another bus out to Stockport, come up the hill, and, then, and he did that, bless his heart. A skinny young fella um, called Paul. 
And it was fascinating that, I don't know, 20 odd years, 25 years later, the thing that he began, he's called Paul Gibbs, is called Pace. <laughs> and that was the very seeds of when Gibbsy just thought, maybe there's a niggly feeling God wants to do something. And uh, it's interesting because now, we, wow, look at Pace, they're doing great things all over the place. Everywhere you go, there's blinking Pace. But what a joy it is to see the story, to see the journey, to see the sacrifice. He just, he's nearly as skinny as he was then, actually, it was annoying. Um, but you see, the sacrifice came before the incredible miracle of what God has done through Pace. Sacrifice of his job, sacrifice of time, sacrifice for Lynn, his wife, in all sorts of different ways. You see, God has done great things. Um, I got another friend. <laughs> he's called Steve. And Steve and I are friends, even though he's a southerner. And Steve is about as ordinary as you could imagine. He's dead ordinary. He's a chemistry teacher. I mean, isn't that ordinary, right? He's a Fulham supporter. I mean, for goodness sake. But some years ago, he felt a challenge from God to go and serve somewhere in the Middle East and made a sacrifice of learning a language, etc., etc. And he works in Turkey. Uh, if you want to chat to me afterwards, I can tell you the city he works in, but not publicly. And, uh, and there was a time when Steve was in a particular place in Turkey, and he just felt a niggly feeling, <laughs> a little bit like Paul, just felt a niggly feeling. He should get a train and go to a particular town, in a particular city, really, in Turkey. So he just got on the train and went to the city, came off the railway station, and he just didn't know, he just felt he should come. So when he got off the train, he saw a hotel on the other side of the road, so he just went in and said, can I book in? So he's in the hotel. And that night, he's in the bar, having had a meal, and there's a guy on the other side of the bar, just starts looking at him. And he was looking at him quite intently, which, you know, in different circumstances could sound a bit dodgy, couldn't it? Or maybe not. And, um, and this guy's looking at him, and eventually, this guy came across to Steve, and um, said in Turkish, and that was the sacrifice that Steve had learnt Turkish, despite being a Fulham fan. And, um, and this guy came across him and said, are you the man with the book? And so Steve says, so what do you mean, the man with the book? And he says, well, I'm, I'm a devout follower of, of Allah, but a few nights ago, um, in the middle of the night, suddenly there was a big, big shining presence in my room. And, and this person spoke to me and told me I should come here and there'd be a man with a book who would tell me who it is who's speaking to me. And so here I am. Steve being Steve, took out his New Testament out of his back pocket in Turkish, <laughs> gave it the man and says, I think this is the book you need to help you to understand who it was that came to see you. And so this guy was so grateful. And so Steve said, read the first, the first four parts of that book. They're called Gospels. I, I read those. And, um, and then the guy on the way out said, are you here tomorrow night? And so he says, yeah, yeah, I'll be here tomorrow night. So the guy went. And then Steve went to reception and says, can I book in for another night, please? <laughs> Following night, the guy comes. And he says, I've read those four parts of those things called Gospels. It's, I want to know that person. How do I get to know him? So Steve led him to Jesus. That was about two, three years ago, maybe. In that city now, there's about 15 or 20 believers all following Jesus in a very tough environment. See, what incredible supernatural provision. But you see, whether it's thinking of something like Pays, whether it's thinking of something like that, God used ordinary people. God used ordinary people. Steve is so ordinary. Gibbsy is so ordinary. And yet God has done extraordinary things. You see, God wants to do extraordinary supernatural things through you and me. But sacrifice comes first. Um, we need to get into the Bible. I can hear you saying, Pete, get into the Bible. All right. 
I'm going to read the only miracle of Jesus that's in all four Gospels. Okay? There's only one miracle of Jesus in all four Gospels. So just tell the person next to you what that is. You never know. It's worth a guess, isn't it? Only miracle of Jesus that's in all four Gospels. We're going to read it from Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I'm tempted to ask Stripey Top Lady uh, if she's guessed, just to embarrass her again, just for fun. But I won't. <laughs> so Matthew chapter 14. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Yes! Yes, I like that. Do you want to pray for humility in that lady? Yeah, okay. <laughs> there was definitely a yes I got there. <laughs> Only miracle. And yet it's one of those things that can be so familiar to us we can miss it. But let's say, Jesus, what are you going to speak to us from this this morning? So, Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Jesus, I want to thank you for this very familiar story, but I pray that you would by your presence of your Holy Spirit, open our ears, open our spirits up to receive what each one of us needs from you. And whether there's somebody here searching and wondering about faith in you or somebody who's followed you for many years, I believe, Jesus, this morning, you can put your word into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And so we start this familiar story with that little phrase, when Jesus heard what had happened. Don't miss that. All the gospel writers, including Matthew, they put things together in very deliberate ways. They're not diaries, you know. It doesn't say on Monday we did this, then on Tuesday we did that. No, no, none of them are diaries. They arrange things very carefully. And so Matthew knows what he's doing here because he says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew to a solitary place. What had happened? Well, we won't read it, but if you read the 12 verses beforehand, you find out that John the Baptist had been killed. It had been a terrible thing, you know, he'd been beheaded, his head had been brought on a platter to a celebration. It was a dreadful and horrible thing. And so, so Jesus, the humanness of Jesus must have been devastated. John the Baptist was his cousin, a little tiny bit older than him. Jesus had never known life without John the Baptist. John the Baptist had always been there. They'd been mates growing up. They'd probably played for Nazareth United. You never know. They'd done knock and run. You never know. For the technical amongst you, those are arguments from silence, they're called. But they were mates. They were cousins. They were relatives. They had always been together. They'd known each other. And suddenly, 
John the Baptist was killed. From a theological point of view, John the Baptist was the, the forerunner, if you like, of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so theologically, John the Baptist has great significance as the proclaimer of the Messiah that has just come. And yet suddenly, John the Baptist is killed, beheaded. And Jesus must have been so sad and so disappointed and in his humanness so frustrated. And so no wonder then, when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Notice how Matthew layers that. He layers it very carefully. He withdrew by boat. I mean, that's saying, clear off. I want to be alone. It was the man going to his cave. Ladies, you know that, don't you? Yes, yeah, there was a lot of yeses. And so Jesus, as the human Jesus, he's so disappointed and so angry, so frustrated, so sad. He withdraws by boat privately. Well, that's making the point. He gets on the boat and puts a sign up. I want to be alone. To a solitary place. He layers that so carefully. So Jesus is sad and wants to be alone. But then... Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Oh, for goodness sake, did you not get the message? So they followed him. Verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he said, clear off your beggars, I want to be on my own. No. Nope. No, he didn't. Some of you are looking now thinking, he's lost it. No, no. See, but he could have done. He could have done, and maybe you and me, we would have done. But Jesus, when he landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He spoke to them and he healed their sick. What we see Jesus do, I want to encourage us to make that same sacrifice. He put the mission of God first. He put the mission of God first. Do you know what we often do? We often put our preference first. We often put how we feel first. Jesus wanted to be alone. He wanted to just be separate. He wanted to be sad. And often you and I are challenged with circumstances in our life where we just want to do what we want to do. Do you know, there's a phrase I hear all over. And it's follow your heart. And people say that as though it's a good thing. I'm sorry, but if ever you've heard that, that's ridiculous. Follow your heart. What a selfish, selfish thing to say. If Jesus had followed his heart here, he would have told him to beggar off and he'd have... No, no, no. He followed the heart of God. That's what he did. He put the mission of God first. This is a reminder about our mission. You see, Jesus was sad, wanted to be on his own, but he put the mission of God first and faced with the people. He had compassion on them. He spoke to them. He healed them. And later on, we know he's going to miraculously feed them. He put the mission of God first. You and I have times where we feel naffed off. We feel sad. We feel frustrated. We feel disappointed. That is an opportunity for us by the power of the Holy Spirit to dig deep and say, I will put Jesus and his mission first. We are called to be on the mission of God, just like Jesus. Pentecostals, we lose this if we're not careful. Oh, we get the power of the Holy Spirit so we can have exciting meetings and jump up and down a lot and say oh for a shandy and speak in tongues and all. Sorry. And no, 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 the reason we get the power of the Holy Spirit is so we can continue the mission that Jesus began. That's the point. And so let us, like Jesus, acknowledge that we're sad. Be real, be honest, then dig deep and say, but I will put the mission of God first. I see churches do that. I see churches make arrangements to keep the existing people happy. I'm sorry, that's not the mission of God. When we're planning church programs, when we're planning events, when we're arranging what we do and how we do it, the mission of God should come first. How can the mission of God be furthered by the decisions we make rather than how can we keep people happy? 
really, really important. And that launches us. Then, of course, into verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. Um, the disciples were being realistic, okay? They were being realistic. Evening was approaching. It was a remote place, and it's already getting late. Now, I know the younger ones will be really surprised to hear this, but there was no McDonald's. I know that is hard to believe today. There wasn't even a Costa. I mean, that is astonishing. But you see, they're realistic. Evening's coming. It's a remote place. It's getting late. In other words, the disciples' thinking was limited to the natural. They weren't exaggerating. They were just being realistic. The problem was, this is the first indication that something supernatural is going to happen. You and I often think in the natural. I'll tell you when we think in the natural. Something happens and we think, what can I do about it? I'll try this, and I'll try that, and I'll try that. And, and when all the things we've tried have failed, oh, I'll have to ask God about it and pray. Wrong way around. You see, we, we default to the natural and miss the supernatural. It's also fascinating that then when we move into verse 16, Jesus turns it around and Jesus replies, um, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus is a bit naughty here because he puts pressure on the disciples. In fact, in John's account, which is in John chapter 6, it specifically says he asked this to test them. Jesus was testing their heart. He puts pressure onto the disciples. So the first barrier that Jesus had come through was he had to put his, the mission of God before his personal preference and convenience. The second one is that they had to push through Jesus putting pressure on the disciples. I don't know about you, but if I'd have been a disciple, I'd have been thinking, hang on a minute, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. It's quite harsh the way he says it, you give them something to eat. If I'd have been a disciple, I would have said, I want, I want the nice cuddly Jesus from verse 14 back. See, the, the nice cuddly Jesus that had compassion on them and helped them. What's happened to that Jesus? I'll tell you what had happened. He's now speaking to his disciples. Jesus allows pressure to come on his disciples because he wants to train them. The word disciple in the New Testament, Mathetes, is a learner. A learner. And so Jesus allows pressure to come on the disciples because he wants to test their hearts. He wants to see how they will respond. There are some people here and you are feeling the squeeze. You are feeling the pressure. And in your heart, you're asking yourself, am I feeling the pressure because Jesus doesn't love me? No, no, no. You're feeling the pressure because he loves you. Because you're his disciple. You see, when Jesus is handling the crowds in chapter 14, he has compassion on them. And he heals them and speaks to them. That's lovely. But now in verse 16, he's speaking to his disciples. You give them. He puts pressure on the disciples. Jesus often wants to see how we respond to pressure. How are you doing? You see, we can all trust Jesus when it's all going hunky-dory. But when things are tough, that is when Jesus is looking into our heart. How are you doing? Jesus allows pressure to come on his disciples because he's loving them, he's training them, he's developing them, he's wanting to see how they respond. And we see what happens in a bit. But before we get to that, look at verse 17. Classic, classic. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they whinged. Uh, sorry, they answered. You see, it's so easy <laughs> to be intimidated by how little we have. 
Don't you often think, if only I had more, then I'd do something for God. It never works that way. If only I had a little bit of money, then I'd give to God. If only I had a bit more time, then I'd give some time to God. No, no, the whole point of the discipleship journey is we make that sacrifice to him. And whether it's time or money or focus or interest or whatever it is, we make that sacrifice in advance. But the disciples here, they're intimidated by how little they have. In fact, John's version, John 6 verse 9, really, really rubs it in. The disciples there says, Jesus, we have here five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, barley loaves would be the, 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 the bread that poor people had. There's a range of different types of breads and barley loaves, because barley was the cheapest grain, barley would be the bread eaten by the poorest of people. That indicates who this little lad's family were, doesn't it? But, but notice the, the way that the disciples phrase it. We've got here five little incy-wincy, tiny little cheapo barley loaves and two little incy-wincy fish. You see, they maximize the problem. You ever done that? Maximize the problem. You see, we talk when we praise God, we say, let's magnify God. Well, when we magnify God, does it make him bigger? If you get a magnifying glass and you put a magnifying glass somewhere, does it make the thing bigger? Some of you are not sure now. Have you done science now? No, when you do, when you do magnifying glass, the thing doesn't become bigger. I'm sorry if that's bursting a bubble for some of you. thought it was magic. But when you do magnifying glass, the thing doesn't become bigger, but it becomes bigger in your perception. And when we magnify God, when we praise and magnify God, God becomes bigger in our perception. And that's why I have seen down the years in pastoring, all the years I've been pastoring, that I've seen certain people who are always maximizing the problems and minimizing God. But I've seen people of praise. And you see, different people down the years, oh, I don't know why people get so obsessed with his praise. Is God so insecure? We've got to cheer him up. Praise is not cheering God up because he's having a bad day, because he's insecure and needs us all to tell him how great he is. We need to tell him how great he is to remind us that's what we're doing. Because if we don't do that, the God we worship becomes smaller and the problems we have becomes bigger. And so they emphasize the downside. Oh, f five little barley loaves, small, little teeny weeny. No, 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 no. Whatever we give to Jesus will be multiplied. Isn't it astonishing that they focused on the little incy-wincy bread and the little teeny fish fingers and because of that missed the fact that with them was the second person of the Trinity, the creator of heaven and earth. They missed that. So, let's keep pushing through. There's a couple of little things we need to then spot in verse 19 though because Jesus says, bring, bring the bread and fish to me and he directed the people to sit down on the grass to sit down. Jesus told the people to sit down. What a funny little detail. It's in all four accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include that little tiny detail. Sit down. Jesus wanted them to sit down. You see, the trouble is, sometimes we don't know where we belong. And occasionally this day and age, especially with virtual church and churches all over, you say to somebody, oh, um, I never say to people which church to go to. I don't believe in going to church. You go to Ikea, you go to the pictures, you go to Asda, you go to Little. We belong to church. We don't just go to it. So the question I ask people is, um, oh, which church do you belong to? Which church do you belong to? Well, most Sunday mornings I like to say, but Sunday night there's a lovely service. And Wednesday there's a small group in such a place. And then the first Saturday in the month there's a look. Oh, for goodness sake, where do you belong? 
Now, even though we're told we're not allowed to do gardening, especially when it's during the tourney, <laughs> but when you plant something in your garden, do you know what? You need to leave it planted. You don't dig it up every week and put it somewhere else. If you dug it up every week, it's never going to grow. And some of you, I'm guessing, have been through slightly tough years in recent years. Let's not go there. Um, but if you stayed planted, sometimes you weather a storm and then you come through stronger afterwards. That's what belonging is all about. See, what Jesus is really saying here is, if you want to get fed, you need to sit down. If you want to get fed, you need to sit down. It's a funny little detail. We know the miracle is coming, but the miracle involves the people being willing to sit down. I wonder whether there was anybody British there says, oh, I'm I, 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 I a small group like standing up, Jesus. And Jesus said, for goodness sake, sit down. If you want to get fed, you need to sit down. We need to know where we belong. We need to know where we belong. We need to know spiritually where we're rooted. I know we're in the universal church, but we need to know where we belong in a local church to be planted and to grow, to sit down and get fed. But more than that, Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel especially says they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He says it in here. He directed the people to sit down on the grass. But the other gospel writers say they got organized in groups of fifties and hundreds. They got organized. Doesn't that sound unspiritual? Especially in the Pentecostal and Charismaniac churches. Um, we tend to think that being organized is the opposite by the spirit. Are we going to organize this or shall we trust in the spirit? Well, how about both? <laughs> because you see, sometimes in the Pentecostal emphasis, oh yes, the spirit will guide us. Yeah, no, but we need to organize the blessed thing. And there's something really practical in here that just before the incredible miracle of provision, guess what? They sat down and they got organized. Again, I've pastored long enough to know that sometimes just organizing people is so difficult. Oh my goodness. And you, you know, you're involved in something at church that, oh, we'd like people to sign up to so and so, so and so. Oh, yes, yes. There's something in the Bible about, about David and, and the census, and it was wicked, and I'm not going to sign up. And yet, you go to Asda and say, oh yeah, on the special scheme, sign up, yeah, sign up there. You go to the petrol station, yeah, sign up there, yeah, sign up there. You sign up for things, and then you go to church, oh, I'm not sure about that. What's going on there? It's not of the spirit. It's totally of the spirit to get blinking organized. Jesus is going to do a wonderful miracle. But before then, he says, sit down and get in hundreds and fifties. Come on. Right. You guys across there, you're going to be the 50 here. And this disciple's going to, oh, yeah, but this lady says, oh, yeah, but my friend's over here. I want to sell. Just stay in your group. I've organized small, small groups in the largest church. That was fun. Oh, my goodness me. So the miracles come in. They had to know where they belong, and you've got to be willing to get organized. It's not unspiritual to be organized. And then we come to the incredible miracle. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave the pieces to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. A couple of things we need to spot here. Firstly, imagine what this would have been like on video. To be honest, I think it would have been rubbish. Think about it, right? So imagine there's Jesus, and Jesus comes and says, okay, disciples, is this going to help? And so, well, maybe I won't start. <laughs> and so Jesus gives the bread, gives it to his disciples, and then the disciples start giving it to the people. Well, 
How would it have worked? I love to think this thing through. How would it have worked? I, I, we, we believe it happened. But, but you see, what must have happened is that as Jesus gave the bread, maybe it was just very ordinary, and you give a bit, and you give a bit, and some fish, and it's just to the fish to the people you like. And, uh, and then the disciples begin to give it to the people. But imagine, as the disciples give it to the people, it, it must have somehow increased, wasn't it? There must have been something like So it must have sort of gone and, boop, and then, boop. And every time they give it out, whoo, and then eventually one of the disciples, hey, hey, John, James, um, is your bread going down? No. And the more I give it out, I'm getting more. Well, how's that happening? I don't know. Ask the boss. But the more I give, so it just, just and it's getting more. Wow. But you see, that must have been the way it works. Somehow, as Jesus gave it and the disciples gave it, it must have somehow supernaturally enlarged as it was given. See, there's a sacrifice, but then the miracle. We always, always, always say, oh, God, do a miracle, then I'll make the sacrifice. That is never the route. We make the sacrifice, and then we see the miracle. Now, back to the video. Imagine that on video. It would have looked rubbish. It would have just been the bloke at the front with a white nightie on, giving it to his 12 mates, and the 12 mates pass it out. It, on video, it would have looked rubbish. What about this plan? What about this plan? Jesus says, oh, Father, reveal your glory and do a wonderful, mighty miracle. Right now, Jesus. And suddenly, the angels come flying across. That would have been brilliant. And the angels, so you could have had like a thousand angels with five little lunch boxes, five little Tupperware boxes, right? And in each Tupperware box, there's a little sandwich and a little yogurt and a little um, bit of fruit and no Mars bars. Anyway, um, so you've got your little and you've got your banana and yeah. And, and, and suddenly, the angels come across with 5,000 Tupperware boxes and go, red leader, red leader. And then suddenly they drop the, now, some of you are ahead of me. The angels are not allowed to kill people, so they'd be on parachutes. And so 5,000, and then 1,000 little lunch, psh, coming down. Oh, wouldn't that have been great? That would have been great. That's worth videoing. But the way Jesus did it was rubbish. You know why? Because Jesus wasn't bothered about being spectacular. He was bothered about being supernatural. And I meet people who have a yearning for the spectacular. But that's not necessarily the same as the supernatural. So some skinny young bloke in Manchester ringing me up, hey, my name's Paul, and she had could very ordinary, nothing spectacular, and yet God has done something spectacular around the world. And my mate Steve, just sitting and giving a book, and you see the supernatural is not necessarily spectacular. And I want to encourage you that some of you are already doing supernatural things. You just don't realize it because it's not spectacular. That person you're gently witnessing to at work, that person that you are determined to be honorable with, that person who sees your honesty and your integrity and is beginning to wonder why, that person in your family that you keep showing the love of Jesus to even though it's hard work, maybe some of those things are more supernatural than we realize, but we miss them because they ain't spectacular. Jesus is supernatural, but he's not spectacular. The other interesting thing is, who did the people receive the bread from? It says it very clearly. Jesus gave the bread to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. The people received from the disciples. Sometimes that can be a challenge, because we want it to come straight from Jesus. We want it to be straight from Jesus. Imagine, see I think there might have been somebody, somebody British there. And so, 
Imagine this gentleman's representing Thomas, and Thomas comes up and says, oh, here's some bread. And this gentleman here, sorry about this, you're the, you're the bad one in this, sorry about that. But if the cap fits, no. And, and this gentleman says, oh, I don't want it from you, flipping doubting Thomas. I don't, you're not doubting yet, but you will be later. Um, <laughs> I don't want it from you, I want it straight from Jesus. Do you know, there are some Christians who think they're spiritual when they say, I want it directly from Jesus, without realising the pride and arrogance involved in that. To say I want it just straight from Jesus is not spiritual, it's incredibly arrogant. Because sometimes the person that, that Jesus will use a person to bring the answer to your prayers. But we want it directly from Jesus. And so the disciples received from Jesus and the disciples passed it to the people. Every person in the crowd, even if there was somebody British who was a bit arrogant because we're a bit like that. I want it straight from the boss. I want it straight from the managing director. We're a bit like that but be ready to receive supernatural from Jesus through somebody else, because that's often what he does. And the last little point from this is, imagine the joy of the disciples. Do you remember at the beginning, Jesus puts pressure on the disciples, and what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. What now happens in verse 19? That comes true, because the disciples give them something to eat. The very thing that Jesus had said would happen, does happen. You give them something to eat. You see, when Jesus put pressure on, he knew he was preparing them for the privilege. Pressure is about the sacrifice. Privilege is about the miracle. And the very people that Jesus put pressure on now have the privilege of being right at the heart of the miracle. I like to imagine one of the disciples being old and grey. And imagine John or somebody being old and grey. And his grandson comes running home from school. And he says, hey, at school today, Dad, we did about when the Messiah fed 5,000 men and a load of women as well. And it was an incredible miracle. And the elderly apostle says, well, grandson, I was there. Were you, granddad? What happened? Well, actually, I was one of the 12 that gave the bread to the crowd. Wow, granddad, you did a miracle. <laughs> because in one sense, they did. See, who did the miracle? Well, Jesus did the miracle, but the people did as well. That's why when we read the Acts of the Apostles, some of the, trans some of the early manuscripts, it's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And a decision had to be made. Do we call this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Apostles? Because actually, it's both. And so the disciples had the privilege that followed the pressure. Jesus puts pressure on his disciples to see how they cope through pressure and sacrifice in advance of the miracle. It's always sacrifice and pressure before miracle and privilege. That is the metaphor of the Christian faith, death and resurrection. That is who we follow. And then finally, Jesus says, make sure you collect everything. We haven't got time to look at this, but again, it's one of those little details that's in every single one of the four accounts. Supernatural provision is always more than enough. It's not just enough, there's always more than enough. In fact, I think this is fascinating because at the end, they end up with more left over than they had at the beginning. I think that's wonderful. Isn't that typically Jesus? He doesn't just do it just, he does it magnificently. But the disciples are asked, and John 6, 12 says, Jesus says, let nothing be wasted. Well, imagine the disciples grunging around on the ground. Peter, why are we doing this? I don't know, John. Thomas, why, Thomas, why are we picking all this bread up? The boss can create as much as he wants. Do you know why? It's the principle of stewardship. Look after what Jesus gives. That's what he's teaching them. Look after what Jesus gives. Supernatural provision is always more than enough. God wants to do 
supernatural things in our lives and through our lives. But sacrifice comes first. It is a phenomenal privilege not just to know God and to be known by God but to be used by God as his kingdom purposes come I mean just have a look at the person next to you the person sitting next to you God's putting his faith in them to see his kingdom come boy oh boy that takes some faith doesn't it but Jesus has done that he's left his mission to his church and he wants to see the power of his Holy Spirit come through you and me. Don't worry if it ain't spectacular. What you're doing at work or with your family or the sacrifices you're quietly making might not look spectacular. But if they're prompted by the Holy Spirit, they are supernatural. Be ready to receive from others, not just direct from Jesus. Make sure we look after what he gives. Make sure we don't speak up the problem, but speak up the bigness of God. And sure as eggs is eggs. Jesus wants to bring his miracles to you and through you and me. But sacrifice always comes first. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for this very simple story. But so often, if we're not careful, we see it as like a kid's story. We see it as something very basic and ordinary. But I thank you, Jesus, that I believe that you have brought fresh, fresh insights to each one of us this morning. And I pray that you would fill every single one of us with a confidence not just of what you're going to do, but of what you can do through us. Forgive us for hankering after the spectacular. Forgive us for maximizing the problem and minimizing the God who is with us. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not make decisions based on what's convenient or what we prefer. Not based on our feelings, but based on your mission. And we thank you for the privilege that you have called us and empowered us to continue the mission you began by the power of the Spirit. And when we're going through times of pressure, help us, Lord Jesus, with willing hearts to make the sacrifice of death that you suffered for us in advance of the miraculous power of resurrection life as we see the miracles come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Okay, team. We're going to close with our final song. We thank you for your ministry. Um, I'm sure you're around if anyone wants to ask you questions about the Bible College. So if you're interested in courses or want to chat to Pete, then, um, then please.